Welcome to Revival Town Podcast. I'm Chuck Tate. That's Andy King. Sorry, I forgot to bring the music down. You all right? Yeah, it felt like I had to scream. (laughs) Revival Town Podcast. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. And that's not all. Today on the podcast, Monster Truck Driver. (laughs) I'm sorry, everyone. He's had a bit of too much red. What are you drinking there? Just a little little monster juice. Monster juice, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry, everyone. That's uh, that's him. Well, how is everyone doing? We hope everyone is doing well. Uh, I'm doing all right. You all right? I'm, I'm doing good, you know, even though you did put me at the back table. Oh, I knew you were going to bring this up. <laughs> uh, shall I paint so, the story from? Uh, what? Shall I paint the story Go for ahead. them? <laughs> Take us on the journey. <laughs> Un- unpack this story. Uh, so for, for many of you who are listening, you know uh, that I run uh, an organization called Dream Center Peoria. For those who are new, um, that's what I do during the week. Uh, in fact, it's every minute of my day. Really. Um, <laughs> and you got a cool office, I got to say. You, you, you thanks. Know. Yeah, we yeah, just man. renovated. And I love your bit. new coffee maker and you put the sweet cream. It turned oh. into this frothy... It's the Delicious. frothy coffee. You know what? It was the foo-foo. I'll take it, man. Yeah, I'm ready to move into your office. It's just the new Keurig with the frother built into it. But boy, it changed our lives, didn't it, Chuck? Yeah, it, it did. And, I'm, you know, I hate my office that we're in right now. Now and I'm, <laughs> oh, I'm moving to yours. <laughs> I know I'm not supposed to covet, but uh, <laughs> that was the result of the nice pastor's lunch you had. Yeah. <laughs> well, we did a pastor's lunch. We have... 20 or 30 different churches in the area that um, partner with us for outreach and Chuck and his church, Rock Church, partner with us in many different ways um, at uh, Dream Center Peoria. And so we did a lunch that was for all the pastors and their teams, just yep. to say thank you. No hidden agenda, no no passing the offering bucket round at the yeah. end. So I saw Chuck come in and I, I did not place you where you were placed, but um, I jokingly, I said, oh, be careful of Chuck Tate on the back table. <laughs> we put him on the back table. Well, then I get to go and yeah, eat. The guy who wears hearing aids, <laughs> let's put him in the back. <laughs> but you came and sat with me, so thank you. <laughs> oh, but you've got to tell everyone about the embarrassing moment. <laughs> so, so our children's pastor was, was with me. And she's getting ready to transition out of that role and into a new pastoral role at our church. Yeah, yeah. And we haven't announced that to our church. By the time this podcast airs, it will probably be out. If not, surprise. <laughs> so <laughs> I had already talked to, to you about this. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah and, and told you that, that she was going to be changing roles. And, and uh, we met. And so... You said to her, <laughs> so are you, are you excited about your, about you transitioning out of Sean's ministry into a different role at the church? Something along those lines. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And she didn't answer you right away. Oh. And then I could see fear all over oh, your face. Like, God. oh no, did Chuck tell me this before they even discussed this? Oh. Uh, but um, she actually approached me, but she already knew about it. But it was, it was great to see you sweat a little bit. Oh, I was sweating. <laughs> I was so like, oh, and then she no. laughed really hard too. That yeah. was great. Yeah. So it was. So. It was fun though. But it was one of those moments where you're like, oh, is 
as Chuck asked me for some advice and he hasn't gone through with it yet, you know uh, what I mean? Oh, so, so fun, so fun. But that was a pastor's lunch and today we have a pastor on. We do, we have a pastor, great pastor, returning guest. Last time he was here, he was about to plant a church. Now that church is going strong and he has a brand new book coming out tomorrow. Yeah. So you're going to hear all about that. So why don't you sit back and relax and enjoy this conversation with Chris Brown. This podcast is part of the Edify Podcast Network. Edify is a faith-inspiring app that brings together thousands of the best Christian podcasts in one place for your listening enjoyment. Cut through the noise and grow your faith by diving into the world's top Christian podcasts today. Download the Edify app for free from the App Store or Google Play or by going to edify.app. That's E-D-I-F-I dot app. All right, everyone, it's time for another conversation on Revival Town Podcast. Our guest today, Chris Brown, is a highly sought-after pastor, speaker, radio personality, and church leadership expert with more than 20 years of ministry and financial experience. He worked alongside Dave Ramsey for years and was the nationally syndicated radio host for Life, Money, and Hope, which received over 10 million downloads. Chris is here today to talk about his just-released book, Restored. Chris, welcome back to Revival Town. Yes, super honored, guys. Thanks for letting me hang out with you guys. Oh, thank you for uh, coming on. When we saw you were doing a book, uh, we were like, we have got to get Chris on. on. And, And what the crazy thing is, is the book comes out tomorrow. As this is being launched, the book comes out tomorrow. So, uh, you know, normally you would be on the Today Show or something like that, but no, you're with us, so we're on it. <laughs> of course, yeah, priorities, priorities. <laughs> well, you know, Andy, the, the last time you were on, Chris, I, I mentioned to our listeners, I mentioned to Andy, I felt like I was at a conference and you had a fire hose and just blasted me with good stuff, man. I, I, I took so many, I think, I think I took more notes as a interview just just listen as a listener than any other guest we've had i think i took so many notes so so we're honored to have you back man yeah so no pressure no pressure chris (laughs) but you know this is the sequel (laughs) Uh oh Uh, tell us a little bit before we dig into the book because the last time we we had you on you were about to launch the new church uh, that you have launched now and we're following on social media we're seeing what God's ha- what God's doing down there. Tell us a little bit about just what's been happening. Yeah, so Holly and I are absolutely having the time of our lives. We uh, launched a church called the Well Columbia, just south of Nashville, and uh, we're about six months in. And um, I'm telling you, man, lives are being changed, um, marriages are being restored, families are being put back together, worldviews are being changed, uh, addictions are being overcome, baptisms. We are literally having the most fun we've ever had in ministry, 20-something years in ministry, and uh, I'm telling you, we are having a blast. Each and every day is just an adventure, and I'm actually pinching myself or kicking myself, I should say, uh, for not being a lead pastor sooner. This is a lot of fun. My primary gifting is shepherd, and I'm finally just now walking into my primary gifting. I've been doing a lot of traveling and speaking and radio um, and even some executive-type stuff, operations, uh, a lot of leadership. But uh, this is the first time I've really been able to truly shepherd, and it's a lot of fun. 
And I, is it true that I saw you do a post about you, you guys are the youth pastors as well, and you're loving it? Yeah, yeah. You know, even writing that in the post is a little overwhelming that, uh, you know, because we're so small right now, we uh, don't have, uh, you know, don't have a lot of staff. So I'm actually the lead pastor. Uh, my wife obviously kind of leads with me um, in a variety of different capacities, but I also serve as the executive pastor and also serve as like, as I mean, facility director, I mean, you name it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but also uh, <laughs> on top of all that, the youth pastor too. And it's, you know, it's not just a couple dozen kids. It's actually like 175 kids. So it's, wow. it's a, a big undertaking to be all of those things. So where we've grown in size as far as attendance, but of course, you know, people are still growing to trust us and get to know us a little bit. And so giving is not at the point where I want to hire a bunch of staff yet. I want to have a season underneath our belt where we've got some historical data when it comes to giving yeah. before I start pulling trigger on, 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 on major salaries. So we are both. Yes, it's, it's quite a <laughs> it's quite an adventure. So, Chris, how does it feel to finally step into that lead role after serving as an executive at some really large churches throughout the years? Is it, I mean, I mean, I've been, I, I planted a church almost 24 years ago, and um, it's been a long time since I served on a, on a staff. Has it been really refreshing for you? It has. You know, I, I told myself uh, so many times, I've served under some really great lead pastors that many on this, uh, many of you listening in would know their names. Um, but I've really prided myself in uh, coming behind them and saying something like this. And those of you that lead any ministry, you, you may have a number two or number three, or even if you lead an organization, you have somebody who said this to you. Oh, I just want to feel the weight with you. I just, I feel the weight with you, pastor. And I pride myself in the fact that I'd say that. And I legitimately thought I felt it, but now being a, uh, you know, being a lead pastor, there is no way that anybody can feel that. Even my bride, you know, she tries so hard, but she, she, there's no way. And I don't expect her to, and I actually don't want her to, I don't want my staff to feel what I feel, but, and I actually counted a privilege. I mean, there's pros and cons to any role in this world, but there is a weight that comes with it. I will say a leadership principle that I've learned that I think will really help people is, um, uh, you know, a lot of times we do the Monday morning quarterback thing and we judge other people based on their performance, whether it be sports or ministry or business. They're like, oh, I would do it differently. If I owned a Chipotle, I would do this differently. If if I owned a Sonic, I would do it differently. If I played uh, football for the Dolphins, I, I, I would do it differently. Um, <laughs> I, what I've realized when it comes to being a lead pastor is um, I have, I'm not as good of a leader as I thought I was. Because all this time as a role underneath the lead pastor, I was actually latching on to someone else's vision. Uh, he was doing all the heavy lifting. He was doing all the vision casting. And so here I was coming alongside a great vision caster and a great lead pastor. And all I was doing is riding the momentum, momentum that the Lord was creating through his leadership, not mine. And so, you know, if I, if I needed volunteers, it's like, yeah, I mean, five, 10, 20 volunteers. Um, but now being the lead guy, I just realized when you're the one that's actually creating vision from scratch, um, you're not quite the leader that you thought you were. Uh, so that's been one of my biggest leadership things is like, man, I've, I've had a lot of success in ministry, but I've been latching on to a lot of very successful people. And this is the first time where I feel like the Lord said, Hey, you're in the primary seat now, buddy. It's showtime. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Did you find it hard to make that switch, Chris, from going from the second, third guy to now the 
the guy who's you know coming with the vision and passion and everything else was that hard for you you know i think it would be hard uh for if if you two two different things i would say number one it would be hard if i was in my mid-20s i think you know having 20 years experience and being in my mid 40s, there's just uh, there's just some respect that I naturally get being in my mid 40s that the average attendee probably wouldn't get somebody and give somebody in their early 20s who is only you know led outside of college for a couple of years. That's one big one. But even bigger than that, it would be hard if I was trying to force it. I legitimately feel like I'm called to this. I'm not I'm not forcing anything, and my identity is not wrapped up into how successful I am or not successful I am. I truly believe that the Holy Spirit is leading this movement. I'm not trying to create a movement that I'm asking God to latch on to. No, God is doing a movement and yeah. we're just latching on to his movement. Yeah. That difference changes everything. And so it really hasn't been hard because I've just been walking in obedience. Yeah, that's, that's good. That's good. I tell you another thing, Chris, um, and then we will get to your book. But one of the things <laughs> that I one of the things that I did love about you was how you honored other churches within Columbia area. So uh, the belonging is a big church in Nashville. Uh, they have bought uh, a campus to the area where you're at. But before you guys even got rolling, you were at their services, you were championing on the sealers. Like um, it wasn't this, oh no, there's another church. I, you know, and I'm being honest, a, a church that is getting established in Nashville, they haven't been around many years, but definitely, you know, six, seven, eight years, something like that. And most pastors would have been like, oh, no. <laughs> but you embraced it and really became friends with all those guys. Could you speak into that a little bit? Because I think I think some pastors really need to hear about that. Yeah, so you just opened up a can of worms when it comes to my passion. Uh, I, we just completely forget that we're on the same team. We just really do. And I'm studying Ephesians right now. In Ephesians chapter 4, there's a scripture. I believe it's maybe even it may be verse 1 in chapter 4. But you guys, those of you that are familiar with the Bible, you'll, you'll, you'll remember this. But it talks about uh, the first three chapters of Ephesians talks about our identity in Christ and kind of who we are in Christ and um, and um, really how we were dead in our sin and but Jesus, but you know, that uh, but God moment. And then you get into chapter four, five and six of Ephesians. It talks about how that should look. Well, right in verse one, it talks about three different character traits. It talks about how we should walk in humility. It actually says complete humility. And I hate the fact that Paul put in the word complete. I'm like, oh, why did you have to do that? <laughs> I'm like, I was, I felt, I was feeling pretty good about myself when we said humble or hum but complete humility. Ouch. It goes on to say um, <clears throat> later on in that verse, it talks about um, that we are to be people of unity. And so like the way that we talk, the way that we act, we need to have unifying language, we need to have unifying behavior. And then it says to be people of peace, all in the same verse. Yeah, and right. so uh, really, really powerful as you're going from who we are in Christ, chapters one through three, this transitional verse of chapter four, verse one, going into the how, talks about those three things first. And uh, so for me, as I'm kind of starting a ministry in this area, um, I just, I think this, there's not enough there's no room for this territorialism. Um, so that's the first thing that comes to my mind. The second thing that comes to my mind is the fact that I'm all about focusing on what I can control, not on what I can't control. And so for me, what I can control is my own heart, my own spirit, my own soul, and where I'm at. 
Um, I can't control on where everyone goes to church. That, that is, I, I can't, that would be so disempowering to me and so frustrating to try to control something that you have no control over. And the last thing I would just say is, is that, um, you know, if you really are ministering and executing with excellence, with most importantly, the Holy Spirit is working through you and your leadership, through your staff, through your volunteers, and even through your building, the actual physical building. If people can feel the Lord's presence. I'm a firm believer that the king will grow what the king wants, and the king will also fund what the king wants. And so for me, I, I, if we do that, that's what I can control. I can control the fact that we stay blessable that we stay humble, that we stay unifying, that we stay peaceful. And I've just learned, you know, okay, now you're really getting me going. But um, Proverbs 11.25 says, um, the generous will prosper. Then it goes on to say, those who refresh others themselves will be refreshed. Mm. And so for me, if I can just be all about refreshing other churches, we're going to be refreshed. And then we're going to serve out of being refreshed, not serve out of us trying to stay guarded instead of stiff arming other ministries. And so for me, I feel called to shepherd and serve a city, not serve a church. Right. I want to serve a city. So for me, if I can shepherd and I can be an example of humility and unity and peace to a whole entire city and my church is just one way I do that. Right. But the way that I could actually model the things that we need to model as Christ followers and Christian leaders uh, is to reach out to those who are in ministry with us. We are truly on the same team. Yeah, that's good. There's so much to that. You know, I'm going to throw this out just because, I, and Chris may not know this, last time uh, you were on and then Holly was on as well, your wife came on, uh, uh, I think she came on before Chris and we got in trouble about that. I can't remember. But anyway, um, <laughs> so for most those that are new to listen to the podcast, Holly was my boss uh, down at Crosspoint when I was on staff down there in Nashville for a short time. And so we were talking and in the conversation, we brought up about Chuck and I, both of our wives uh, have, have been sick, a medical is issue, very similar. It's been really crazy what Chuck's wife and my wife are going through. So we were talking about this with Holly and yourself, and I'm on about honoring what you were just talking about generosity honoring out of the blue a few weeks later holly had sent a letter to Teresa, my wife just encouraging her saying we're thinking about you praying for you didn't you guys didn't need to do that but that's what com was compelled to do and it meant the world to Teresa wow. because it was out of the blue it was not expected um, and so I'm saying that to say this isn't something that Chris and Holly just talk about when they're doing an interview. They're doing it outside of an interview. And I, I, I really do thank you for that. Man. Yeah. So that's really special. All right. So, yeah. so we'll do that's yeah. it. That's the interview done. Thanks. Yeah, yes. <laughs> no, no, thank and then our wives moved in together and, and Andy and I. Have our... <laughs> so, but no, Chris, so let's, I mean, that is amazing that you have honored, you know, anyone, not just the sealers and, and, but that city, I do, I truly believe that. I mean, obviously what I'm doing with the dream center, right. That I can't do what I do if I'm just connected to one church, right. We have 30 odd different churches involved 
locally with the Dream Center here. We can do it if we didn't live on a city yes. rather than just the block that the Dream Center owns, right? Yes. Um, it's so crucial. Um, with writing the book, where um, does that come through the book at all? Like this passion for people, obviously you're wanting to see people restored and that's coming through a city, right? But with the book, what was it that really got you thinking, I want to write a book and, and with the, the title that it is, really be able to start zeroing in on, on the message that you were wanting to get through the book? Yeah, so just this dynamic between uh, ministries in a city is just one manifestation of a uh, worldview that's much deeper. And the worldview is exactly what we're just talking about. We were dead to sin, and but God. And when you really live a life filled with the humility, that posture of humility, that you are saved by grace, not by your works, like it is a free gift. Well, your natural response is to be completely filled with gratitude, to be overtaken with gratitude. Well, gratitude actually sparks generosity. Generosity is the currency of gratitude. A generosity, you could say generosity is the uh, is gratitude in action. And so you can't, you can't be, um, when you're grateful for what you've got, it naturally makes you want to give. Yeah. So in this scenario with the ministry thing, um, it's you naturally want to be open-handed with people. They were never yours in the first place. You don't own them. And really, to be honest with you, with the ministry thing, it was reciprocated immediately. Um, the, for I'm not the hero in the story. Actually, they were here. Other churches were here before I was here. And so they were actually, they're the heroes of the story. They're the ones that uh, started the unity. Um, uh, Henry Seeley himself was in our lobby on opening day on his Sunday as well. Right. Uh, and his actual Sunday is about 45 minutes away. So he made the, he came all the way down from Nashville to Columbia, was in my lobby, hugging my neck, saying congratulations on launch day. Wow. And so I had another, another church nearby that's about literally like two and a half miles from us every Sunday. And they were here uh, doing demolition and preparing our building uh, four months before we launched. Wow. And I didn't even know them. They just showed up. They didn't, re they didn't even coordinate it. They just showed up with their tool belts on. And so, um, but here's the deal, the macro side of this, that's just one manifestation. When you truly are grateful for what you got, it makes you want to give. And I would just say worship is our response. This book is a response to what God has done in my life. Uh, God has um, brought me through a ton of tragedy. I had a childhood that was completely filled with poverty and violence and drugs and tragedy. Uh, not only childhood, but going into my adult years, my wife and I at our early age lost three of our four parents. We've gone through a miscarriage. We've, we've gone through some very serious things in my life. And I'm just thankful. I'm so thankful for the fact that I was dead in Christ and listen, there's a, there's, I know we sing amazing grace, amazing grace, and grace is amazing. But a lot of times we bypass mercy. Mm. He has been merciful. He has held back punishment that I deserve. And the mercy that precedes grace, then I received amazing grace on top of that, where he has bestowed a ton of blessings on top of me. And all of that just washes over me daily. And so for me, my, 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 my heartbeat behind this book is to talk a lot about the tragedies that have happened in my life, how I have processed those tragedies, and then how the reader 
can process tragedies in their life that maybe are similar to mine and maybe not. The tagline of the book is transforming the sting of your past into purpose for today. And I don't know if many of our listeners listening in would remember this side of me, but for four and a half years, I, um, I spoke on a a very uh, micro subject, or at least it was perceived as a micro subject. And it was the thing stewardship. And it was uh, equated to money, when really we know that it's much bigger than money. Mm. But the stewardship uh, definition is managing God's blessings, God's way for God's glory. Mm. That's it. It's not just money. And so for me, I've got to manage my story. I've got to suck the nutrients out of it. I've got to give God glory. I've got to transform the sting of that pain. And I've got to uh, transform it into purpose. So the whole goal behind this is to take all that pain and to encourage people, to equip people, and to empower people. Wow. Well, let's let's step back into something you just said, because you, you talked about your childhood. Um, and in the book, you write about that. It wasn't pleasant at all. Um, how did you recover from a traumatic childhood? Well, one of the things that, um, you know, God, God is always moving. We have to understand that whether we like it or not, whether we know it or not, whether we, we can discern it or not, he's always moving. And if I look back, so right now you're kind of asking me the question as a 44-year-old looking back, yeah. how did I overcome that? You know, it's God's movement for sure, but two specific ways he moved. One way he moved was through those silent whispers. Uh, he was there with me. Uh, and we've all, if you're a listener, if you're a listener right now and you, you know, God, you know, you've got a relationship with Jesus, you know what I'm talking about. Sometimes those whispers can be really, really yell, loud yells in your ear, but they're, they're there at the exact time that you need them. Uh, so that happened a lot through my journey. Uh, I did not have a, an active father growing up. I actually had a lot of really bad ones and had even a, another whole host of really bad boyfriends of my mom's. Um, and so I didn't really have that. Well, when I was 18, I was exposed for the very first time to Psalm 68 that says, I am the father to the fatherless. And that's when I realized I have a heavenly father and I do have this uh, lineage. I might not have earthly lineage. That's impressive. Definitely from the wrong side of the tracks, <laughs> but I've got this lineage that's pretty darn impressive being a child of God made in his workmanship, made in his image. And so that's one way, but a more practical way, and this is encouragement for all of us as we all, uh, you know, we all are out there trying to act in a response of our gratitude um, in generosity. And it's through people. It's through proximity principle, uh, being around the right people. Throughout my years, I had gaps in this fatherhood category. I didn't know how, anything about becoming a man. However, God surrounded me with godly leaders, even before I even knew Jesus, a godly coaches and mentors and teachers and uh, bosses and supervisors, um, uh, just friends, friends, parents that have been around me and spoke life into me and filled some of those gaps. And so for me, again, going back to what I've already said, when you're truly grateful for what you've got, pause, those gap fillers in my life. Okay. I'm when you're truly grateful for what you got, you try everything you can, no matter what you do, when you wake up at night or wake up in the morning, you get your head off your pillow, whether it's writing a book, whether it's on the radio, whether it's in a hallway, whether it's in an auditorium, whether it's a microphone, no microphone, you're doing whatever you can 
to make sure that you fill gaps for other people. When you're grateful for gaps that were filled for you, you are also now going to give and fill gaps for others. That's good. Excellent. Chris, I have a, a couple of questions. Um, one, can you, can you share how you came to faith, how you came to Christ? And then two, you, you know, you mentioned Psalm 68 and learning about a heavenly father. Was it difficult in the beginning of your walk with God to trust a heavenly father based on what you experienced with natural fathers in your life? Yeah. So, um, so I, I accepted Christ. Uh, I went to, I was, I went to a public school and had no spiritual exposure at all growing up. Uh, I never wanted to be home as you can imagine with all the violence and drugs and, and tragedy. So what did I do? I um, surrounded myself and drowned myself in sports, fall, winter, spring, football, baseball, basketball, whatever I could do to not go home. Uh, and I would be the first one to practice and I'd be the last one to leave for two reasons. One, I didn't want to go home. And number two, I was striving so hard for, I'm proud of you. I was striving so hard for that, a boy, dude, you ripped that one, dude, you knocked that guy out. Like I was starving for that. Well, when you do that over and over and over again, where you're the first one to practice, last one to leave. You're taking way more reps than everyone else is. And no matter what the sport is, you actually become pretty good. Even if you're below average natural athlete, you become pretty good when you work your tail off like that. So what happened was is I got a college scholarship to play baseball. It happened to be at a Christian school. I didn't know what Christian meant, but for $50,000, I will love Jesus all day long. <laughs> 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 so i went to a christian school and uh two weeks in that was in a chapel we had chapel every day at 9 a.m and uh went in there and there was this uh, traveling evangelist that scared me into heaven so fast but one of the things he talked about was psalm 68 that i've got a father uh, and he's the father to the fatherless and you know it really wasn't hard for me I, I, I was very easy for me to do that separation between earthly, um, um, I was going to say something a little bit more mean, but um, less than stellar people, um, <laughs> and make that separation from that, and, uh, you know, God, and so for me, the second that I knew about God, and knew about Jesus, and knew about the Holy Spirit, for me, I'm a rule follower by nature, and so for me, immediately, it's like, what does it look like? What does obedience look like? Well, not that I've gotten it right. Definitely. I definitely, I'm not perfect at all, but for me, these routines in my life of what obedience looked like, I mean, immediately I went from that. I was a tither. Like some people listening and don't know what tithing is, but I immediately started giving 10% of my income back to my local church, like on, on day one. So as soon as I found out about that, I'm just a rule follower. So for me, it's never like, Oh, what can I get away with? It's like, no, how much can I obey? Because yeah. I am trying to get a boy. I'm trying to get a, I'm proud of you for my father. Now, I've come to find out later, hey, Chris, it's not all about works. Now, if you are on fire for me, you're going to have works. Right. But it's not, I listen, I love you unconditionally. I agape love you. And so I've learned that since. But uh, for me, it wasn't hard. Uh, Chuck, it just wasn't. I, for me, I was just so excited to actually have someone I can trust. Well, did you, and, and you, you obviously have kids now. Um, did your childhood change the way you've raised your own kids <laughs> you are really good at opening up cans here hey, a... <laughs> <you know? laughs> 
opener. <laughs> yes, this is a, this is, you know, that's a, I've got to really discipline myself that this is not another 45 minute podcast here. Um, so I, I, a couple things. Okay. So I'm gonna give you one negative and one positive. Uh, did it affect me? Oh, you better believe it. I mean, it affected me like crazy in a lot of different ways. Um, on the negative side, there are some things that there's some characteristics that I have some baggage, if you will, from my past that I've pulled into parenting. One of them would be a scarcity mindset. Uh, it, it plays itself out in some really funny ways. Uh, for me growing up, I was always starving and uh, ne never knew where the next thing load of food was going to come from. You didn't know if it was going to be days or even weeks. So for me, if I see a bunch of food around the kitchen, and you're around me, you better get it fast because I'm going to just pound. Uh, so I'm known as the pounder. And uh, so it's, it's bad. Oh. I, I'm 44. My wife will look over at me and say, Chris, first of all, you're 44 and you can't eat like that. Number two, we've got guests here that haven't even gotten second yet and you're on your thirds. So uh, it's, you know, <laughs> it's it, it it comes out in some bad ways. Another way is uh I I, I have no I have no tolerance um for entitlement, and I know here's the deal. If we're all being honest with ourselves, even the, everyone listening in, we're all entitled. We just really are. It, it's just young people don't know how to hide it yet, and so it just comes out and it's so obvious. Well, it literally throws me in a rage internally when I see entitlement, because I know what my kids are being brought up in, they're being brought up in this, like, it's not perfect, but it is a really good childhood. Um, and the, the downside of that is when they take it for granted, it's not their fault. They don't take it for granted. They don't, they don't know anything different. So like, I'm a little bit hard on them when I, when I sense entitlement. So there's a couple of negatives. Of course, the pro is, you know, I'm doing everything as a parent that I wanted. So I wanted affection. I wanted to feel accepted. I didn't want to feel rejected. I wanted to feel supported. I feel like I'm consistently doing all those things. I'm expressing love to my kids. I'm saying I'm proud of you. So yeah, it definitely affects uh, this next generation for sure. Well, you said something that jumped out at me that I wrote down, and that is we need to transform our pain in, into purpose. So obviously, when people read Restored, I know they're going to relate with your story. So what advice do you have for our listeners that are struggling right now? They're going through a season of suffering right now. They're perhaps in the fetal position, listening to this podcast, their heart aches, they're filled with pain. What advice would you give them to heal? Yeah, well, you know, there's a passage in uh, Hebrews um, 12 verses one and two, and it talks about, it's this cloud of witnesses passage that many of us are are familiar with it's a passage of scripture that's all talking about the the race for endurance and sometimes i hate those subtitles because it pigeonholes you into seeing a verse in a, in a, in a particular way and there's so much more meat in that particular passage um, that particular passage talks about this first part of it talks about how we are to um, remove the hindrances in our life uh, and sin so some things are not sin some things are sin but we're supposed to that, that so easily entangle us or so easily ensnare us Okay, so we're supposed to remove those. Then the, the verse, the passage gets into verse two when you go into the race that we are to run, uh, run our race. Um, then it says with Jesus being our focus. Then it goes into the tail end of that, and you guys can look this up, you know, later. Uh, those of you are listening, I know it's frustrating that you're probably on audio right now and don't have a Bible in front of you, but just remember those two verses, and then these things will stick out to you later. 
But then it goes into these four lines in a row that are talking about what Jesus did when he's modeling this, this running the race with his focus, his gaze on his purpose, not on his pain. So he says first, the first line is um, uh, the joy set before him. Okay, so this makes no sense. The joy, there's a payoff for this story, I promise. You guys stay with me. <laughs> yeah. the, the, the joy set before him, okay? Then the next line is he's going to go endure the cross. Mm. That makes no sense. Yeah. The joy before him, then it says to endure the cross. Then it says to despise the shame. That makes no sense. Yeah. And then it says that he'll sit down at the right hand of the father. Because you've got this big, huge roller coaster of things going on in four sentences. What can we learn from this? The bottom line is, is that Jesus knew that joy, something like joy, has, um, uh, sorry, I just got a call on my, our Zoom thing. <laughs> sorry about the delay, guys. I'm just going to be real and call it out, listeners. Sorry about that. Um, it is real life. <laughs> yes, there you go. There you go. Sorry about that. Um, but anyway, so what Jesus knew is that joy like just take joy for instance because you're talking about pain and so the opposite of pain would be joy and and so he knew that joy is a is a um focus thing way before it's a feeling thing so jesus was focusing in on sitting down at the right hand of the father he wasn't looking at an occasion he was looking at the outcome of the occasion that's good i'll say that again jesus was going to the cross not folks focused on an occasion but focused on the outcome of the occasion. So he was filled with joy as he's doing something and going to the cross and he's got nails going through his hands and he's got, he's getting beat and he's getting a crown of thorns on his head and he's getting spit at and mocked and he's going with joy. Are you kidding me? Mm. Why? Because he was, it was all about focus, not about feeling. Many of us listening in today are all about chasing this, this Pinterest of like you downloaded some image that said, choose joy today. And it makes you feel all warm and fuzzy for two hours. What if we were not to chase a feeling and we were to change our focus? Yeah. What if we were to focus on our purpose and not focus on our pain? Because here's the deal. Jesus went to the cross. The reason why he could do joy, why he could feel joy is because he knew it had purpose. He knew the purpose behind the pain. If he was just going to get nails drilled through his hands, he would not be filled with joy. Because he knew the purpose behind it. So as you go through pain, no matter what your, your pain is going to be different than my pain. But as you go through it, don't focus on the occasion. Focus on the outcome of the occasion. The bottom line is, yeah, come on. is that Jesus has a plan for each and every one of us. And it's way bigger than whatever you're going through in this chapter. It's the reason why it's a book. I didn't publish a chapter. I published a book. And there's 18 chapters in there. And I can tell you the end of the story. And I'm not even at the end of it yet. But my life is pretty stinking good right now. But I had to go through 18 chapters of absolute pain. Yeah. But you can go through it with joy if you know the outcome of the occasion. That's good. Yeah, that's going to help so many people. In, uh, in the book, you, you talk a lot about different uh, things that happened and then you stepping into overcoming pain. Um, what ways does God help people overcome years of pain? Not just something that happens that's a short time, but, but going over years of pain, how does God help people in, in that way? Yeah, I mean, I, I know my experience and just, you know, just you know, reading the scriptures, you know, it, 
if you hear any kind of a teaching out there that says like, Hey, once you accept Christ, your life's going to be amazing. It's going to be great. It's just not, it's not true teaching. The bottom line is we live in a fallen world. Um, there are lots of great, I mean, amazing truth and principles in our scriptures that if we were to follow them, we're actually going to cut out a lot of pain in our lives because we're going to be living a life of wisdom. However, there's still cancer and there's still car accidents. There are still, we're still living in a fallen world and some things are still going to happen. Just imagine if the whole world was perfect and everything was perfect all the time. You wouldn't need a God. You wouldn't need to cling to him. You wouldn't need to ask for him. You wouldn't need to need him at all. And so therefore there's going to be uh, some fall of humanity all around us. The way that he's helped me um, and I see in the scriptures is uh, number one is what we just talked about is he, he paints a picture for us for glory. Uh, an eventual outcome, the purpose, and the, he allows us the opportunity to be able to share our pain with others. We're designed for community. Mm. And so you can share that with others and refresh others. And then therefore you are refreshed. Um, you have purpose behind it. And then here's the deal. A lot of times we overestimate the, the, um, the event and we underestimate the process. You actually, through the process of going through a trial, no matter how painful it is, you grow closer to him in the process, which actually ends up being a better, a bigger win than actually winning the event. Mm -hmm. So like right now, for an example, I'm going through something really, really, um, I'm struggling with something with my kid's school. Okay. And it's actually super humbling for me. Um, and uh, without going into too much detail, I, I put myself in a pretty humble position and had to go to the headmaster of the school and really a very specific, detailed, like 15, 20 minute impressive, in my mind, it's an impressive apology. I mean, it multi-layered, as genuine and authentic as you can get, just really kind of threw myself at him and said, hey, I'd wrote him a couple of emails that weren't mean, but they were firm. Remember what we talked about at the beginning of this podcast? They weren't completely humble. They weren't unifying and they weren't peaceful. And so I went to him and said, hey, they weren't those three things. And I, I, I apologize. That was way too firm. I thought we were closer than we are. And I offended you and I, I'm, I'm wrong and uh, just threw myself out there. Well, I'm in that reconciliation process right now. And uh, we don't know how the chips are going to fall in this situation. But I will tell you this, how close I've grown, grown to God and grown to Jesus through this little two, three week trial it's a big deal. I know it sounds really minor to those of you listening in because you don't know the complexities of it, but it's our whole world. I mean, we're involved in this school. It's our, it involves our community. We're pastors in the area. Uh, it's a small town, so everyone knows everyone. It's actually a really big deal. And uh, what I've learned just in the humility and walking with God through this is way bigger than however this thing goes. If this thing turns off A or B or C, whatever the outcome is, the fact that God worked with me and I grew through the process and I'm a better man today than I was three weeks ago, that's the win. And so that's how God works with us as we go through big, long seasons of trial. Wow. Yeah, that's good. Well, I, I have um, a, a really good friend who lost her 15 year old daughter in, in a car accident just a few weeks ago. And my wife and, and I sat with her just last night for a couple hours and just, just cried with her and listened to her and, it's been a grueling couple of weeks. Um, you know, in the book, you share the pain, the trauma that you've experienced and you've gone through and you've shared ways that God's going to help people overcome not just pain, but years of pain. Where do friendships come into this? I mean, I know yesterday it was important for us. Um, we don't have the answers. It was important for us just 
to be present. So why are friendships so important when going through and overcoming trauma? Yeah, friendships are very important. And it's, it's even more important than friends being important is what kind of friends. Um, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, do not be misled. And that's in there because the understanding is, is that we would be misled. It says, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good behavior or good habits. And so sometimes if you're going through a situation like that, Chuck, um, you can actually have the wrong advice around you. You can have friends around you that are actually steering you to, to actually make you dwell on it more than you should, or to um, look at the situation from a very non-biblical way, uh, get you to feel sorry for yourself and, and take you down this tailspin of discouragement and depression, all out of a sense of loyalty, but it's just bad advice. Uh, and so you got to be careful that you have the right friends. Um, I know in the financial uh, arena, uh, it's a truth that you will your uh, income over your lifetime will be within 10% of the 10 people you hang out with the most. Hmm. So you got to choose wow. your friends wisely. I mean, your level of thinking, either low or high, is going to be on who you hang out with, uh, whether you have a victim's mentality or a victor's mentality. The, the, the idea of friendship is huge because we were built for community. The community is actually the way that we were designed. And, and unfortunately, in today's world, because of so many um, false relationships. And I, 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 I really try carefully not to bash screens since we're on one right now. Um, <laughs> I don't, and, and, and really the three of us, we're actually more digital friends than we are in, in, in person friends. And so I don't want to completely, um, diss all screens. However, we do need to be aware that we do have a lot of acquaintances because of screens and it scratches an itch that we don't know it's happening. And therefore, we don't dive into daily, local, face-to-face um, -face relationships like we should. Yeah. Uh, that and, and Netflix and all the things that we use to numb when we should have been processing with a really good friend, we were processing with Netflix. Right. And so you've got to understand that friends, we were designed for friends, weren't designed for Netflix and Hulu. Um, so everyone needs to have i don't think you need 10 but you definitely need one or two that are giving you good godly advice that's good wow. well i know there's a lot of people listening today that are not only going to benefit from listening to you share your wisdom and insight but they're going to benefit from getting your book restored and reading your story and they will learn how they can navigate their own pain and, and, and trauma but i also know there are people listening right now that are that are struggling they're hurting can you take a moment and pray for our listeners? Yeah, I would love to. Heavenly Father, uh, we come to you right now. We're just asking for uh, just a fresh um, wave of your spirit to come over each and every one of us. God, so often we, we treat your Holy Spirit as a, a JV part of the Trinity when it's your gift to us that you actually left this earth and said, hey, I'm leaving an even greater gift for you. And we don't live a life that's spirit-filled. So God, we ask that you would just overtake us with your spirit and that we'd walk in that and that we'd follow your leading on how to uh, relationally connect with people, how to emotionally process things, how to spiritually connect to uh, you, uh, how to financially handle our lives and knowing that we're managing actually for you. 
how to physically lead our bodies instead of our bodies leading us. Um, all aspects of our life, we're asking for your spirit to guide us. And for that person, those people that are listening in today, and they're in the middle of the absolute worst sting of pain that they've been in, in their entire life. I pray God right now that your voice would be louder than it ever has been in their life. And the promises that are laced throughout your scriptures would be more real to them right now than they ever have been. And God, we just talked about friendship. I pray that you deliver that one friend, maybe from a, a, from a corner of their life that is very, very um, uh, unexpected. But they're just a great active listener. And uh, they're great at pointing, pointing them back to scripture and pointing them back to your love for them. So God, I just ask for that. And uh, we will give you all the glory and all the honor. God, thank you for allowing us to, to spend some time together today. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank amen. you. Thank you, Chris. Yeah. Well, we want, we want people to go and get this book. It's coming out tomorrow. So uh, can you uh, tell us? I know it's going to be on Amazon, Amazon correct? But so, so pretty much anywhere. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wherever books are sold. Yeah. Um, but how can people follow you on this journey of uh, this, this book being launched and people getting connected with you? What are the best ways for people to, to do that? Yeah. So if you're listening to this right on launch day of the podcast, um, there's no need to wait till tomorrow. I think you can get on there and pre-sell, uh, pre-order right now. Um, you know, Baker Books has got it for sale, Amazon, Target, Walmart, um, all the, you know, walmart.com, target.com, all that kind of stuff. Um, and, Barnes uh, and Noble. or you can go to my, yeah, Barnes and Noble is another good one. Um, chrisbrownonair.com, my website, there's a book page there if you want some more information about it. If you wanted to jump in on, and, you know, I've got some some um, some cool little things you can share on Instagram and stuff that are just some um, some highlights of the book that give some good value add things to people. Um, so that's the best way to, to jump on board. And then of course, anytime you can guys leave, leave reviews and comments and anything like that, it's, it's super helpful. But um, and then of course, follow along the journey on my social media, Chris Brown on air on, on all social media. But I'm very, very thankful uh, for the opportunity to share this. And I really do share it from the standpoint of not a book, not a product, right. not a, like a speaking gig. This literally is my life story. I feel super vulnerable putting it out there. I feel very exposed. Um, I'm actually a little insecure about it. And I'm doing that as an act of love uh, for people I don't even know. And I'm just praying that it encourages them and blesses them. And I just pray that if you're listening in right now for you and your friends, that it actually could be a game changer for your life. Man, well, thank you for being willing to share your story. It is, a, it is vulnerable to do that and lay out your life before us, but I know it's going to help a lot of people. And thanks for sharing it with our listeners today. Well, we do something at the end of every podcast and we did it last time you were on the big three. People want to know the real stories behind Chris Brown, although this book is going to, <laughs> open a lot of <laughs> lot of things up but um so we're gonna we're gonna throw three questions at you um do you want to start chuck or you want me to what do you want as, as you want to start you want me to start you go for it okay go. all right all right well you, you shared that you went to college on a, on a baseball scholarship what is your favorite sport to play what is your favorite sport to watch 
Mm, that's good. Uh, I like to play basketball, more action, you know, five on five, actually three yeah. on three is perfect. Uh, half court. Cause I'm old. I don't want to, I don't want to run full court. <laughs> and, uh, watching, I like to watch, um, the energy of college basketball, because they actually play super hard and they have a lot at stake. So there's a lot of tension in the air. Um, but I like uh, probably the most like entertainment value is watching NBA, but only playoffs. I don't mm. like anything during the year, gotcha. but the playoffs, um, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. Good, good, man. And we got March Madness going on right now. Right. And <laughs> yeah. obviously this is pre-recorded. Kentucky got knocked out last night. Unbelievable. That's what I love yeah. about March Madness. I mean, anybody could be anybody if you make your shots, right? Yeah, yeah. Even you, Chuck. Sure. Even, Even me. <laughs> <laughs> and that's saying something. Oh, <laughs> <God>. <laughs> oh. Okay, well, here's, here's my question. Got nothing to do with sports. You, most people may not know this because we haven't mentioned it, but you live on a, it's a farm, right? Mm-hmm. What is the toughest job that you have to do on the farm now? <laughs> Well, the toughest job would probably be um, chopping down trees and cutting firewood. But I will say the grossest one, <laughs> the grossest one is I got to scoop horse crap every day. So um, not fun. I just said crap. So I just said it twice. Oh, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. <laughs> uh, that's good. All right. Chuck, on the far, on. On the, on the, on the, I was going to say, well, you. I thought maybe the, the, and the, and the best part is, is hosting um major country music artists to come in and to shoot their video on your farm right how cool was yes, that yeah we probably once a quarter we'll get uh, a country music star that comes out and uh uses our farm for a video the la- latest one the biggest one has been uh it's a great uh song i actually recommend this i don't get paid for this by the way but uh i'm recommending it's called by dirt by jordan davis and luke bryan if you watch that video that video with all the barns and stuff in it all the cabins that's my that's my farm did you, were you in the window, like trying to? Get... <laughs> <laughs> I was uh, off to the side coaching Luke on how to sing. Oh yeah, that's good. That's good. <laughs> uh, oh, that's good. That's good. That, that's... All right, so that 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 is a great segue to my question: Who is your favorite country artist? Oh man, that's so hard. Um, <laughs> Oh my goodness. Um, is it hard because you don't like country music? No, I actually do, but I, <laughs> okay, you know, okay. I, the ones that I like, the, the true country purists that are listening are going to get mad at me because they're like half pop. Yeah. Um, so I, I've always loved Carrie Underwood's voice and I actually love her as a person. She's in Nashville and she's just a good person. Um, and so for me, when I hear her sing, I can hear her, the person of Carrie come out through her words and lyrics and her tone. So I'm naturally gravitate towards anything Carrie sings. That's good. When I, when I was working at cross point, there was a lunch where um, Keith urban did a free concert downtown outside Bridgestone. And so a bunch of us went down there. I think, I think our lunch hour went a little bit longer than normal. Don't tell Holly, but um, (laughs) I am not, I'm not a country type guy. Just, the type of music I grew up with in yeah. England wasn't like that right? Country rock and roll. But it was one of the best concerts I've ever been in. And it wasn't it wasn't the bells and whistles lights. I mean, it was full on concert, but you know, it wasn't at night. It was brilliant. Yeah. So so yeah, so Urban got me that day. But uh yeah, I'm not, <laughs> you know, I, there's a few I'll listen to, but not many. Yeah, so yeah. All right. All hey, right. Uh, 
a little bit of confession time for the purists. Okay. So I really love um, Stapleton, Chris Stapleton. And my favorite song is Tennessee whiskey, but I'm not allowed to say that because I'm a pastor, but (laughs) that song just sounds so cool. I just love it. So it's got a lot of grit. I love grit. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. Well, Chris, thank you so much for coming on to Revival Town podcast today. I know you're going to bless so many people, not just from the podcast today, but also the book. Uh, We're praying blessing on you and and the book as it's being launched. And uh, thank you so much for for taking the time to just talk through some of these things that you're hitting within the book. Yes. Thank you, guys. I really enjoyed my time with you guys today. And let's uh, stay connected. Yeah. All right. Thank you. All right, listeners, go get the book restored right now. Thanks, Chris. I can't, I can't help do that. I people know I'm gonna do that. If you're a, a longtime listener, then you know I I can't help myself, Andy. Well, the, yeah. <laughs> welcome to Caleb. <laughs> Coming up. <laughs> oh, you enjoyed some, that? We got some Joe Brown. We had Chris Brown. Now with Joe Brown. No, um. So, um, no, that was, that was great. I, you know, I, I, again, found myself hammering away on my, my laptop, taking notes as, as Chris spoke, it just leadership oozes out of him and, you know, not just leadership, but man, he just has a lot of wisdom and insight when it comes to, to ministry and life. And Chris, we're so grateful for you taking the time. Can't wait to, um, read the book. Yeah. Can't wait for the audible version as well. Since I, that's my jam. But, um, you know, he said several things that jump out at me. One of the things that he said was, as, as a pastor, he sees himself as a shepherd over a city, not a church. I love that. Yeah. A shepherd in a city, not a church, not necessarily a church. I love that. So it's it's a broader view. Yeah. You know, at our, our church, we're in the area code 309 district. So, you know, our hashtag is 4 to 309. We're 4 to 309. And I, I so I love that. That resonated with me. And, um, and he also said something else when it comes to stewardship. He said, the king will fund what the king wants. Oh, that's good. Yeah, that was that was great. Yeah. Uh, so I wrote that one down. Of course, we talked about, I mean, transforming pain into purpose, which everybody can benefit from hearing that. Yeah. And I think a lot of folks are going to get um, a lot of help grabbing this book and reading it. Um, Chris went through a lot. And uh, he unpacks it in the book, and and Holly's wife as well. I I remember going to Crosspoint, and when I was asking her about her story, it was she was telling me how she was in the medical field, <clears throat> and really God prepared her to help uh, see her dad's last few days uh, as he struggled medically, and uh, you know just a hard hard time, right, to do mm-hmm. something like that, yeah. and. Um, so I think a lot of people are going to get so much out of this book. Uh, make sure you go in and, and get in it. It's out tomorrow. You can pre-order it today. They'll send it tomorrow or wait tomorrow and just order it tomorrow. That, that'll be all right as well. But it's going to be a great, great read. Absolutely. So, And if you're not listening on Monday, it is out. 
Yes, right. that's right. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Well, well done. Well done. Yeah, hey, you know, I pay attention. You know what's next? <laughs> oh, I don't know. I don't pay that close attention. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on a roll lately, so hopefully we'll keep that streak alive. Oh, I don't know. Okay, all right. Are you ready? I'm this, ready. This one, I was watching a show the other day, and I heard this. I was like, oh, that is such a great English saying. Are you ready? I'm, I'm ready. For those of you that are first-time listeners, Tate and his mate is a little segment we do at the end of every podcast where my mate, Andy, who is British, gives me a British slang word that's not known, usually not known, in America. So me, Tate, has to guess the word mate throws at me. You ready? Ready. This is a saying. It's not a word, it's a saying. Saying. I'm going to throw my glad rags on. You're going to throw your what on me? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Keep your glad rags to yourself. Glad rags. Oh, I thought you said glad racks. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even want to guess that. Uh, Glad rags? Glad rags. I'm going to throw my glad rags on. Let me. Th- oh, you're gonna throw your glad rags on. Okay. Glad uh, rags. Glad rags. Uh, what a great uh, night. Uh, glad. I'm in my. How about pajamas? <laughs> pajamas. Yeah. Get my glad rags on. Get my PJs on. My glad rags. I'm happy when I get my PJs on. Go watch some TV. Chill out by the fireplace. Get my glad rags. My glad rags on. <laughs> I'm guessing that's not it. I finally missed one. Yeah. Uh, glad rags are celebration clothes. Celebration clothes. Well, yeah. hey, for some people, <laughs> that's your PJs. <laughs> my separ- I'm gonna get my glad rags on so I can go do this podcast recording. <laughs> oh, so glad rags are like you know if you're going out for something or a wedding or you, wow, you you, you, uh, you know you you throw your glad rags on. Okay, your glad yeah, rags. So next time I I do a wedding and I'm. Wrapping up my premarital counseling session, and we kind of go through the ceremony. I'm like, do you guys mind if I wear my glad rags to your wedding? That's it. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to be like. You don't want to throw your glad rags on for a funeral, though. Yeah. Oh, no, yeah. No, no. No. This is just for the fun time. So. Yes, yes. Oh, so Amen. glad rags. I thought you'd like that one. I did like it. Yeah. This Fun times. Yeah. So, well, everyone, thank you so much for uh, listening to Revival Town Podcast. Make sure you're connecting with us. Uh, online there's so many ways obviously our website has a lot of stuff on there revivertownpodcast.com including video oh we so you can video. watch this episode that's you, right yeah tell us about it revivertownpodcast.com now you can watch every episode and this is one of the one of the first couple episodes that we are even filming this portion. Yeah. Right? Yeah. The intro and outro. Because the last few weeks, we were been uploading the Zoom call yeah. of the interview so people could watch. But now you can watch this part. The yeah. intro, the outro, the banter, the fun, the throwing down the monster drink. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm going to get my glad rags on. <laughs> oh, so I'm take a rumble. <laughs> rumble. <laughs> what? Ramble. I can't. I can't. Uh, we better we better end this thing okay well thank you for listening to revival town podcast today make sure you're checking in with us during the week on social media and we will see you next week goodbye bye-bye 
Thank you for listening to this episode of Revival Town Podcast. Make sure you're following us on social media and remember to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information, head on over to RevivalTownPodcast.com. Oh,